And if you would open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. This is the Word of God. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Let's pray. Father, as we have read Your Word now, I pray that You would add Your blessing uh, to not only the reading, but also the proclamation of Your Word. Build us up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cause us to have a unity that Paul commanded of the Philippians so that we would, with one spirit, with one mind, strive side by side for the faith of the Gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. I want to open uh, this morning's sermon with a story that is, I would guess, fictional. I'm not completely sure. And it's likely a story that you've heard before from someone who is able to tell it better than I am able to tell it. Uh, But it points us in in the direction for Paul's command to the Philippians. So uh, I judge that it might be helpful for us this morning. Alexander the Great, who had one of the largest empires in ancient history, was sitting on his throne uh, worshiping... uh, I'm sorry... So sitting on his throne, I don't know where worshiping came from. He was sitting on his throne uh, when one of the guards uh, brought in a young soldier. And the boy was brought before Alexander because he had deserted his post. And when Alexander first saw him, he thought, this young man reminds me of myself when I was at that age. Uh, so he was, he was taken with him. Uh, the, the, the young man had uh, the same colored hair, same um, eyes as he did. And so he was brought, this young man was brought before Alexander and desert, uh, leaving your post was a grave offense. And Alexander said to the young boy, what is your name? And the boy answered, my name is Alexander. Excuse me. Oh, I missed him. Uh oh. Okay. Oh, he's still alive. (laughs) All right, he's gone. (laughs) Um, I was preaching one time in a spider, big spider. Everybody in the sanctuary could see it. And it came right down on the on the podium, and I was at my last church, and I was like, "What's going on here?" And uh, I disposed of him much easier than I did that that wasp. Anyway, um, so the young boy answered Alexander the Great, "My name is Alexander." 
And Alexander the Great said, What is your name? And the young boy, uh, almost barely above a whisper, My name is Alexander. And then Alexander boomed out, What is your name? And the boy, trembling, said with this voice cracking, My, my, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great replied, Change your conduct or change your name. Alexander the Great was telling the young soldier to live consistently with the name that he, uh, that he possessed. And in our passage, Paul is telling the Philippians to live consistently with the gospel that they possess. Here in verse 27, um, we have a major transition in the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul had previously only talked about himself and his circumstances. I think I said many, uh, several times uh, in the early part of our looking at Philippians together that what Paul is doing in the first part of, of Philippians is, um, is given a missionary report. He's telling them about his well-being, even though he's been arrested. He's telling him about uh, the success of his ministry, even though he is chained uh, to a Roman guard uh, 24 hours a day. And so he's telling them and he's encouraging them. He's saying, I am not suffering even though I am in prison. The Gospel is not suffering even though I am in prison. In fact, the Gospel is thriving. But now in verse 27, he turns his attention to the Philippians. And he gives them a command. He tells them that they must live in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. And he's telling, telling the Philippians this because he knows that they are suffering. They were being persecuted by the Jews in Philippi. They were also, some of them, being arrested by uh, the Romans. Because to acknowledge, uh, by, the, by the Roman authorities, uh, because to acknowledge Jesus Christ as being King and being Lord, especially King of the universe, well, that was, um, that was a treasonous offense. Because only in the Roman authorities' eyes, only Caesar was to have that place of prominence. And for them to say that there's another king, another Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, that could be a treasonous offense. In fact, I believe verse 30 makes it clear that some of the Philippians, because of their testimony, um, and their faith in Jesus Christ was, was causing them to be, uh, at the very least, thrown in jail. So verse 30 says, um, starting with verse 29, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. They saw the Apostle Paul thrown in jail in Philippi. Remember Acts chapter 16? 
It was in Philippi that he was thrown in jail where uh, he and and um, uh, Silas were, were singing in the jail and the, the, the doors were thrown open and uh, they led the Philippian jailer to Christ. And so they saw him in jail. Now they hear that he's still in jail and he's saying some of you are suffering in the exact same way. And because of this persecution from the, the Jews, uh, because of this um, this being thrown in jail by the Roman authorities, the Philippian Christians were tempted to shrink back in their willingness to acknowledge uh, Jesus Christ. They were tempted to hide their faith. Put yourself in their position. Let's say that you are a husband and you've got a wife and young children. And your wife and your children depend on you. Would you be willing to stand out uh, in your faith in Christ if it meant that you might be arrested or executed when your wife and children are depending upon you? It would be tempting to blend in with the world, to not stand out, to go along, to get along. And Paul was hearing that this was the case. Remember Epaphroditus? had journeyed over from Philippi to visit with Paul. He's given Paul a report on how the church is going. And apparently Epaphroditus has told him uh, about uh, some of the Christians shrinking back and hiding their faith. But in spite of the potential cost in suffering, in persecution, in imprisonment, and maybe even in death, Paul commands them to actively and publicly live their lives for Jesus Christ. And I'm emphasizing the fact that their faith was to be evident publicly because of verse 28. So you see verse 28, he says, "...and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God." In verse 27, he's saying, strive in your faith. He's saying, uh, stand firm. He's saying, go forward in your faith. And to go, fo- and he's saying, go forward in your faith in such a way that your opponents will be able to see your faith in Christ. But don't be frightened of them. They were to be so, their, their faith in Christ was to be so evident that it would actually cause their opponents to know that they weren't saved. It would be, as he says here, um, a clear sign to them of their destruction, of their impending destruction. And this is not unusual for the Scriptures to say, stand firm, be faithful, make your faith public, in spite of persecution. Remember the Lord Jesus? Matthew chapter 5. He said, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a lamp or, or light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And remember uh, Matthew chapter 10? 
Jesus told His disciples, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny before My Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, live your life so that you can be compared to a light set on a hill so that everybody is able to see your faith in Jesus Christ. And don't shrink back because everyone who denies the Lord Jesus and disowns Him because of their own self-concern, He's saying is in danger themselves of being disowned by God. Paul's command to the Philippians holds true for us even though it is so many centuries later. You know, our culture does not like Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians who are outward or aggressive in their faith. But I believe the Apostle Paul not only told the Philippians that they were obligated to live their lives um, or live their faith publicly, but we are obligated as well. Now, we're not called, we're never called to be obnoxious. We're never called uh, to be you know, in people's face. But we may not try to blend in with the world either. We are called to be different than the world. Friday morning, my, my uh, Rotary Club uh, asked me to give the morning prayer, uh, the opening prayer for our, for our club. Well, I'd been thinking about this passage all week. And um, so when I was asked to give the prayer, I started my prayer like this. Almighty God, I love the Lord Jesus Christ so I offer this prayer in His name, asking, and then I asked, made the petitions. And I purposely put the Lord Jesus Christ at the first, because otherwise people would hear His name as a period at the end of the, of, of the prayer. And I thought, that's not what Paul... Paul's not calling me to put Jesus' Jesus' name in as a period at the end and kind of sneak Him in there. And so I put Him there at the beginning. We... Um, since Memorial Day is coming up, we had a, a retired general speaking to us. And uh, he mentioned my prayer in his remarks, mentioned it positively, and how surprised he was that we were so outward in our faith. And uh, so I was, I was happy um, that, uh, that he heard it and, and called attention to it. I, was, I get asked to pray a lot because I'm active in the community. And at another event, I was asked to pray, and I put Christ out front, and um, Dick Greco was there. And after I finished the prayer, you know Dick Greco, the, I guess, former mayor of Tampa? Uh, he stood up and he thanked me publicly. He said it had been a long time since he had heard a real prayer in uh, one of these meetings or one of these public gatherings. And I'm not pointing to myself. I'm just trying to give a little example of how it doesn't mean that you have to 
to go and knock on people's doors. It doesn't mean that you have to to be so aggressive that you're annoying and that you turn people off from the faith. But Paul says, your life is in Jesus Christ. That your citizenship is in heaven. That you now are a child of God. And therefore, don't shrink back. But live your life with Christ publicly. Be that light set on a hill. That's the main thrust of what Paul's saying here in verses 27 and 28. Uh, I'm going to use the rest of the time this morning to go th- move through some practical applications here from this passage. But before I do, I must ask you, what does it say about your faith if you're afraid to let other people know about it? The first practical application I want to look at is in verse 27. A life worthy of the Gospel means standing firm, but not standing still. Look at verse 27. He says here, stand firm in one spirit with one mind. But in standing firm, they were also to strive side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Their standing firm did not mean that they were standing still. They were striving forward for the faith of the Gospel. The Philippians were not in danger of intellectually giving up their belief in the Gospel. They firmly believed the Gospel. But Paul knew if they were not willing to to practice their faith publicly then they were well on their way to giving up their faith practically. It's not enough to stand firm. You must strive to proclaim it. Standing still with the Gospel is actually a very dangerous place to be. Standing still gives you time to begin noticing the things that you were not intended to notice. When you're standing still, In other words, when you're not really being active in your faith, you begin seeing all the flaws and the other Christians around you. You begin seeing the other flaws that normally you just wouldn't notice because your your mind and your focus is planted on Christ and on His kingdom and on moving forward. And here you are, uh, as, as Paul says, standing side by side, striving for the Gospel. Your, your eyes are forward. You're not looking at, at uh, the weaknesses of your brothers or your sisters that are standing side by side. The work is important. But when there's no work to do, when you're standing still, you start looking around. You start comparing yourself to other people. You start tearing other people down to make yourself feel better. And the longer you get to look at other people. The more flaws you're going to see, the more intently you look, frankly, the flaws um, will will grow bigger uh, in your own eyes. I mean, we are sinners. This is a hospital for sinners. We have flaws. We play in the mud. We splash each other with the mud from time to time. That's why... 
the uh, the passage from Philippians, I mean from Ephesians, uh, that we read responsively, talked about forgiving one another because we are flawed, we are sinners. But if you're busy growing the kingdom, you're thankful for those people that are standing side by side, giving you that mutual support and encouragement. Uh, that are willing to contend with you for the faith. And so you don't have time, you don't have desire to see their flaws. You're just thankful for their presence there beside you. You know, most contention and division in churches happens when the church spends too much of its time not being busy for the kingdom of God. And that's what's beginning to happen in Philippi. Look look at with me uh, for a couple of moments at some passages here in Philippians. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count yourselves more significant than your than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And that's what was happening in Philippi. They were shrinking back because of the persecution and the suffering. And they began looking to their own interests rather than looking to each other's interest. And so rivalries began springing up. Um, Conceit began springing up. And then look uh, also in chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, "...do all things without grumbling or questioning." Again, they are looking to their own interest. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, uh, apparently there was a, a particularly bitter rivalry and division that had sprung up uh, with two ladies in the church. And so he, he writes specifically, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Synecdoche to agree in the Lord. And so this, they were standing still in their faith, not striving forward, took their eyes off of Jesus, took their eyes off the kingdom of God and started looking at themselves. Secondly, the second practical application, a life worthy of the gospel, speaks of oneness but emphasizes the many. Again here in verse 27, he's talking about the oneness, having one spirit, having one mind, striving side by side as one body. But he's speaking to everyone. He's speaking to the many. He's not speaking to individuals. So the church in Philippi was losing its unity because they were shrinking back from the faith. Divisions were beginning to spring up. So when Paul tells the congregation to live a life worthy of the gospel, he's not just speaking to individuals in the church who weren't getting along, although he spoke very directly to Iodia uh, um, and Synecdoche. But he's speaking to the whole church. The whole church must be unified in its witness. They must be in one spirit, in one mind, and must be standing side by side for the faith of the gospel. Westminster Presbyterian Church is not just a collection of believers who gather here once a week uh, to worship. Rather, uh, there's a common life here 
in the church. Um, we are a church family. Uh, there are a few formal meetings uh, through the week, but there are many informal meetings that don't even make it into the calendar. Uh, there's inseparable fellows, uh, inseparable friendships uh, throughout the congregation. In fact, there's some of the ladies here I never see one without the other. Um, and so there's a lot of life and a lot of unity here at Westminster that never gets put on the calendar. But because of this, there's also it can be difficult to break into to that flow, that life of the church, because there's organic life that's not um, necessarily scheduled. And so Jim Eggert always says, look at your bulletin. Look at ways you can participate. Get into the flow. Attend one meeting and begin finding some of these other little avenues and building these relationships uh, one with another. And uh, as you come, I believe that you also uh, will see this organic ministry, this organic unity that allows us to be more effective in our ministry uh, together. The third practical application is a life worthy of the Gospel means dread for unbelievers, but courage for believers. I've already mentioned it in verse 28. Paul says, Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Now, it's pretty obvious. The stakes are not as high for us in living out our faith publicly as it was for the Philippians. Um, and because our faith is... This, because it, the stakes are not as high, we're not apt to be thrown into jail. We're not apt to be executed. Uh, it also means that our faith lived out publicly is not as, going to be as noticeable as the Philippians' faith was. For the Philippians to stand up for Christ publicly was a powerful sermon to the enemies of the Gospel. Now, it's true today that our lives do preach, but it creates less dread in others since the potential cost to us is less. Similarly, it takes less courage for us to publicly live for Christ than it did for the Philippians. You know, we... Even though our culture is running against the grain of Christianity, there's not a whole lot of cost for us to stand up and, um, and be public in our faith. But this passage challenges us, well, it commands us really, to be courageous in living out our faith publicly. So I want to challenge you to take your typical way of living for Christ and then stretch the boundary. What I mean by this is if you're not doing much to publicly testify about your faith in Jesus, maybe try and just take your Bible to work with you. Put it prominently on your desk. You don't even have to do much more than that. But you're stretching the boundary. And then continue stretching that boundary. Or if you are more, um, more uh, active in your, in your witness, then try, um, try initiating conversations. 
if you are simply uh, just kind of answering questions that people have about the faith. But expand your boundaries. Stretch yourself for the kingdom of God. Grow in courage in your faith. And then finally, a life worthy of the gospel. Um, we'll have two results. The first result will be that um, that people will see um, their destruction is impending. Secondly, uh, that you will grow in the assurance of your faith. Um, you are commanded here to be public in your faith. But at the same time, He doesn't expect you to do all this on your own. Uh, when you belong to God, He gives you all the resources you need to be faithful. And so He says be public in your faith. Well, He tells you in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. I give it to you so that you can go and make disciples. Or what about Romans 1, 16 and 17? The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I think we have too little a view of the power of the Gospel that is available to us in Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons we shrink back. That's one of the, ones, one of the reasons why we become fearful. A man named Stanley Jones, I don't even know who he is, but he wrote... Uh, something that I really like. He said the early Christians did not say in dismay, look at what the world has come to, but rather in delight they said, look at what has come to the world. They saw not merely the ruin, but the resources for the reconstruction of that ruin. They saw not merely that sin did abound, but that grace did much more abound. On that assurance, the pivot of history swung from blank despair, loss of moral nerve and fatalism, to faith and confidence that at the last, Sin, or, or that at last sin had met its match, that something new had come into the world, that not only here and there, but on a wide scale, men could attain to that hitherto impossible thing, righteousness. Carl Henry, uh, the great apologist in the twentieth latter half of the twentieth century, said something similar. He said, I am convinced that this offer of abundant life has a scriptural ability to fascinate the shallow spirit of modern man and to coax him anew to hearing of the claims of Christ upon his life. And the problem is, we keep our faith underneath the bowl. We keep our faith underneath the basket. We keep it hidden from view. But you know what happens when you do testify for the Lord Jesus? Is you become encouraged. Paul says it here in verse 28. You become encouraged um, that your salvation is from God. You become more assured 
And I know that you become more assured because I get the phone calls from you. You get an opportunity to witness to someone in the bed um, next to you while you're in the hospital. I get that phone call and there's always joy. You get to talk to your neighbor. You get to talk to someone at work. And, uh, and, and the phone calls, there's never any regret. Oh, I talked to somebody about Jesus today and I regret it so much. I've never heard that. But I hear the encouragement and the joy. So live for Christ. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Relying on Him as we pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would help us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank You that we don't do it alone, that we have the body of Christ to support and encourage us, to lean upon, to fall back upon. And I pray that as a congregation, that we would testify boldly to Christ and His glorious salvation. We pray in His name. Amen.